You can find the reading on page four of your bulletin. Today's passage is Genesis chapter one, verses one through three. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. and The spirit of God was hovering over the surf surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sohi. This morning we begin a new sermon series for the fall. We will be looking at the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 11, which is the very first and opening section of the Bible. So turn to page 1 in your Bibles. That's just for me. It humors me. I've just been looking forward to saying that so much. I don't know why. But do it. Turn to page one. It's not just for me, at least, a fun thing to say. It's a very significant thing for us to understand. What we have just read together, the fact that it is on page one in the scriptures. When we start on page one, is that any different than starting on page 521? Isn't page 521 just as important as page one? It's all God's word, right? Yes and no. What we have here on page one and in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, this book of beginnings is what we might call a prologue. Wikipedia defines prologue like this. And if it's Wikipedia, it must be good and right, right? And a prologue is an opening to a story that establishes the context and gives the background to everything that comes after. So prologue is the etymology of that. It's two uh, Greek words, first word. That's what it literally means, the first word. Before you go on to the other words, it's what you need to know first in order to rightly understand everything that comes after, the rest of the story. So I am one of those people who just cannot handle jumping into a movie or a TV series or anything like right in the middle of it. I have to start from the very, very beginning. I can't stand the loose ends or not knowing what's happening or the context. So it's like a pet peeve of mine. If I want to watch a show and then other family members are like in the middle of it saying, you know, just, just watch it with us. Or, I can't look. I have to go away. I have to start at the very, very beginning, and maybe you're like that as well. Whether you are like me in this or not, I share this because this is how we are all supposed to be when it comes to the Bible. We need to start at the beginning because every story, every teaching, every command in the rest of the Bible it cannot be fully or rightly understood. It cannot be fully or rightly believed or embraced or lived without this prologue here in Genesis 1 through 11. You take it away and everything is incomplete. We could almost say it's not really coherent without these chapters. Questions like, where does all this come from? How did it come to be? What does it mean to be human, and what is our chief purpose? What is our main and chief end in this life? What has gone wrong with the world? Has something gone wrong with the world, or is this world the way it's supposed to be and has always been? 
What are the grounds for human equality and human dignity? Why do we have to work? Why do we need rest? Why are we male and female, gender, sexuality, family, marriage? It all comes back to the prologue, the beginning of the story. So it is kind of important. Starting in Genesis 12, the Bible gets very specific. You meet a guy named Abraham and his wife Sarai, so it's about two people. It's about two people. It's about their family and eventually this, this people uh, called Israel that comes from Abraham and Sarah. But before we have that, we have this introduction that deals with all people, that deals with all creation, that deals with all things that exist. So it gives context to the story of Abraham, of his family, and the story of Israel and eventually Jesus, who comes from this family. This is the prologue for all of it. So prologue, that is the series title for the fall. We'll be looking at this all the way from now up until the season of Advent and Christmas. What this means, what I've shared here by way of introduction, is that to have a, a full and proper understanding of the Bible, to have an understanding of the story of the world around us, what's happening in the world around us, to have an understanding of our own stories. We need to understand these chapters. We need to know what's in there, and we need to time and time again return to these chapters. And I think in our culture now, in the time that we live in, there is conflict, there is tension, there is disagreement about everything. <laughs> like, what is he going to say? Almost everything seems like it's up for grabs, that it's in contention. Often conversations between people who have different ideas of the story of the world or are in the middle of a disagreement, we might throw out our opinion, we might throw out our perspective. If we are Christians, we might throw out a verse or a moral principle. But it seems like the conflict just continues on and on and gets deeper and deeper. And a lot of us feel very confused. We feel the tension. What I believe that we need is to sit with these chapters, maybe to step out of the fray for a moment so that we can enter in with the right perspective understand the prologue of the story, even the story of the world we're living in right now, as hard as it is to understand sometimes. So this is how we're going to approach these chapters for the next few months. We're going to be reading again for many of you, maybe some of you for the first time, studying these chapters, the prologue to the story of the world and the story of our lives. And so this morning, we're going to start by just looking at the first three verses in the Bible. Really, I'm going to focus mainly on the first two. These two verses tell us how the story begins. And there are three things that I want to point out from these verses. First, the story begins with an author. Page one, verse one of the Bible says... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is how the story begins. And the first thing we notice as we open up to page one of the Bible is that it is written very much like a story, isn't it? Not a theological textbook, 
or a philosophical treatise, but as a narrative or a story in the beginning. And so already as we hear that and as we read that, we're being prepared for a story. If it has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. Now, the Hebrew word here for beginning, it actually rhymes with the Hebrew word for end. And many scholars say that is very purposeful. From the very, very beginning, the first word of the Bible, we're told that there is a beginning and there's an end, there's a purpose, there's a place where this story is going. And where does this story start? In the beginning, God. With God. The word God is used 35 times in Genesis chapter 1. We'll see that as we continue on in the chapter. But that simple observation alone tells us something very important about this story. It is, first of all, a story about God and what he is doing in his creation. So when we hear this story and read this story, that's the first thing we need to know. Now, as I share this illustration, I want you to know that I'm not launching into some kind of critique or complaint here. I'm just making an observation about something that I've seen from having four kids go through four different schools and the school system and all that kind of thing as they were in kindergarten and first grade. Something that I've noticed about history, or maybe they call it social science when the kids are really, really young, is where the story begins. Where should we start when we talk about history? And maybe you've seen this worksheet or something like it. I have a picture of it. It's all about me. And you can go online and you can find a number of these um, worksheets. And, you know, what is my favorite book? Where do I live? What's my favorite food? What's my favorite TV show? And that sort of thing. Now, like I said, this isn't some kind of complaint. This is, this is fine. There's a place for this. Um, especially as a class is getting to know one another. But isn't this where we are tempted to start, for all of us, our own stories? All about me. Genesis 1.1 says, if so, we are starting in the wrong place. If you really want to understand yourself, who you are, and your story first, we need to know this is a story about God. So for a moment, maybe we could just stop. We can think about where we are in our lives, in our stories, in the present moment. What's on our minds? Where are we in the middle of our story? And sometimes we get so caught up with ourselves. And we need to stop. And we just need to begin again with the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. This is a story about God. And this is also a story by God. He is the author of history. He is the author of everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, it says. Heavens and the earth here is best understood not talking about two things, like he created the heavens over here and the earth over here. It's saying he created everything, the entire universe as we know it. This is called amerism. A figure of speech. It's like saying I work day and night. It doesn't just mean I work 
You don't understand that phrase by saying, what do you mean by day? What do you mean by night? It means I work the, entire, the entirety of the day. Or you say hook, line, and sinker. They bought it hook, line, and sinker. That means it's the whole thing. So this is talking about God creating all of reality, the universe, the stars, the planet, all creatures, human beings, everything. And so the story of the universe and everything in it has an author, which means there is also an authority. If everything, all reality, if our lives, they have an author, somebody who created us, then it also means this author is the authority on what is true, what is good, and what is best and right for us. There's that necessary link between author and authority. We might like the idea, God is author, that's good. There's, there's one who is responsible. There is a person behind all this world. It's not just random chance. But when it comes to authority, <laughs> that's where we have a little more difficulty. Oh, that means there is someone who can speak over my life and say, no, this, this is what you are to do and not that. This is what you were made for and not that. This summer, during my sabbatical, I decided to read some fiction. I hadn't been reading much fiction. And so I said, I should do that. So I just went to a used bookstore. I found John Steinbeck, Grapes of Wrath. I don't know if you read it. It's a great book, and I really enjoyed it. But what happens if I finish the book, and I said to someone else who has read the book, man, that was a great book, Grapes of Wrath, John Steinbeck. I love how the story is all about baseball and how it is truly America's greatest sport. And they say, well, I read John Steinbeck, Grapes of Wrath. He never talks about baseball. <laughs> he never even meant, that's not what the story is about at all. But I say, no, that's how I'm reading it. You know, the grape is like the ball. I think there was a stick in the story. And like, it is, you know, like the Grapes of Wrath, you smash it. And it's like, and they would say, no, I, I don't think John Steinbeck wrote the story to be about that at all. And it's about like, you know, the Great Depression and the migrant workers who are coming and like unjust economics and that's, that's what the story is about. Yeah, but that's not how I'm reading it. And he would say to me, well, I think the author of the story is the authority on the story that he wrote. God is the author and he is the authority on human life, on your life. The verb here in verse 1, created. I never knew this before. If I ever learned this, I forgot. But in the Bible, the word created is only used of God. This is something only God does. We fashion, we make, we shape, we cultivate, but only God creates. And so to make this personal for us, the creator here in Genesis 1, he has a purpose. He has a will for his creation. He has a design for it. He has a design and a will and a purpose for you, for your life and your story. We don't create our own purpose. We don't create the design for our lives. It is something that is given to us. And if verse 1-1 is true, then wisdom and flourishing is found in living according to God's design, purpose, and under his authority. 
So when you feel like God's will, his obedience to him, trusting in him, taking that step of walking into whatever he's calling you to do, even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't understand it and can't quite make sense of it, how can this be for my good? How can this be for my flourishing? Is it wise? Is it right? It doesn't feel like it. We can step back and stop. Those moments are hard. And start at the very beginning. Every other week we do this when we confess the Apostles' Creed. When we stand and we say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty. I'm going to live under his authority. And trust he knows best. So the story begins with an author. The story also begins with awe. So in English class, literature class, I remember this happening, I think, somewhere in high school, the teacher would say something like, okay, we read this story class, what's the mood of the story here? And I always remember that was a very hard question for us to answer in high school. The mood of the story is happy. (laughs) No? Sad? (laughs) That's about all we could come up with. It's a very important question, though. Now, many of us have read these verses a long time. We've known them our whole lives. So when we hear them and we read them and we talk about them, if I were to say, what's the mood of the story? This story given to us by God, Genesis, the book of beginnings, what's the mood of the story? We would maybe say, yeah, mm, I've heard it before. Mm-hmm. Heard it. Maybe a little bit bored or maybe just like, yeah, that's fine. Or just we skim by it. Or maybe we have a mood of pride where we read this and we say, yeah, take that, atheist. God made the world or something like that. If we miss the mood, we can miss the whole point of this story. And we can misuse this story. Let me explain. The mood of the story here that just increases and builds as you go on in Genesis 1 is awe. Awe. How big is the universe? 92 million light years? Can we even wrap our minds? What does that even mean? What am I even saying? 92 million light years. In the cell of a mammal, there can be up to 10 million ribosomes. Oh, I think I have pictures. Sorry, I forgot. I lost that effect. Let's go. To, yeah, there we go. <laughs> like this cluster of stars somewhere out there that Hubble took a picture of. I mean, what is that? That is insane. And then we go down to the micro level. And there's, there's, it says ribosome in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> there's 10 million of these up to in a mammal cell creating protein, little protein factories, making protein. What is that? There is a being, a divine person who created all of this out of nothing, out of nothing. My professor, Bruce Walke, you'll probably get tired of hearing me say that in this series. He taught us Genesis. He wrote a commentary on it, and everything he says is right, in my opinion, just under... Jesus himself. Here's what he says. God's creation reveals his immeasurable power and might, his bewildering imagination and wisdom, his immortality and transcendence, ultimately leaving the mortal in mystery. The reason I say everything Walke says is right is because he's the smartest person I've ever met. 
in my life. And as he spent all this time with Genesis, he's saying, it leaves me in mystery, in awe. Does it do that for you? And if it doesn't do that for us, we need to ask, do I believe this? Or at least ask why we are not left in awe. If verse 1 is true, we don't come to the God of Genesis and his word starting on page 1 and judging him or this word, standing over him and the word, demanding answers of him and it, as called skeptics and saying, is this all there is? Is this all you have? Well, what about this? You didn't answer this question. Yeah, 92 million light years, but I have a question for you about that. Now, don't get me wrong. Questions are welcome with God, but there's a difference between open and humble questions that are approached in awe and making God pass your test, answer your questions on your terms. The book of Job in Job 38, we see this with Job. Job was permitted to wrestle with God. He was permitted an audience with God and say, God, I have some questions for you. But before that happened, God said to Job in Job 38, where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know who stretched a measuring line across it. What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone? while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. He said, come to me, Job, with all your questions and struggles, but come with awe, with humility. If God is real, if the God of Genesis 1, 1 through 3 is real, if, if this is true, how could it be any other way? Isaiah says the same thing in Isaiah chapter 40. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls them all by name because of his great power and strength. Not one of them is missing. Look up in awe. The book of Romans chapter 1 says that all human beings know that there is one who deserves our awe, our worship, our honor. It says in Romans chapter 1 that by everything that God has made, it's clearly seen the power of God, the awesomeness of God. But it says every human being also suppresses these things, pushes them down. Instead of glorifying and giving thanks to God, instead, we live for created things. We diminish our awe or we misplace our awe on things that are not God, that are not the author of life. We refuse to respond in awe. And Romans goes on to say that this is the root of all the brokenness in this world. Violence, injustice, relational breakdown, greed, dehumanization, disintegration of families, envy, conflict. Romans says it all stems and starts with the refusal to be in awe. And so let me ask you and let me ask myself this same question. Where is your awe? Awe produces 
humility. And maybe a test that you can ask yourself is this. Do you enjoy using God and his word to be right, to win arguments, to prove your point, or to be on the right side of a conflict more than you enjoy God himself and his glory? God and his word are not to be used as weapons to prove others wrong or win arguments. We must always and only speak of God and his word with awe and humility. He is the God who made all things. And so we are careful, humble when we speak of him. Let me make sure I'm okay on this microphone. And so maybe we can regularly recover our awe. There's, there's a prayer that I have used, that I've encountered, that helps me do this. To practice starting again at the beginning and letting our hearts sit in awe. There's a prayer that goes, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forever. When I read that, sometimes I skip by it and I just don't barely notice it in my prayer book, but sometimes just that remembering. Start at the beginning and to live in awe. One more thought on this, on reading with awe. When it comes to our doubts and questions, and maybe some of you here are like, I'm not sure still about this God, that he exists. Sometimes we doubt and question that. Notice that the Bible here doesn't try to prove God or offer arguments for his existence. Instead, the story places God at the beginning so that God is not the outcome of our human arguments. He's not the outcome of our human reasoning. God is not the answer to the end of an equation that we put together as human beings to prove his existence. Instead, he is at the beginning of everything, and this is very significant as we may have struggles or doubts or maybe wonder, is God there? This is the best argument for God, despite the, despite the very person of Jesus Christ. In my opinion, this is the best argument for God, that love and relationship, that beauty, morality and justice, the longing for purpose, the inescapability of story and our impulse for worship are only reasonable and real when we place God at the beginning of all these undeniable realities and longings of the human heart. Place him at the beginning. And you will see these things begin to cohere, to be reasonable, and to be real. The story begins with all. Final point. With an author, with all, and lastly, even here in these first two, three verses of Genesis, we see the story begins with great assurance. Now, this morning, if everything I've said up to this point, it's a little bit too big picture for you. You were thinking, I need to come here. I need something practical. This is all very big picture. Well, here it is. This is something down to earth for you. The first three verses of the Bible and the rest of the chapter can give you the assurance that no matter what happens to you, to us, to this world, to your life, no matter what is happening in the news, at work, in your family, in your relationships, in your heart, in your emotions, you can have assurance. It will not end in chaos and darkness. 
but it will end in light and order. This is all in verse 2. Verse 2 in the Bible, we already get to a place where we have a little bit of a puzzle, a little bit of, wait, what's going on here already? We see that the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit was hovering over the watery depths, and we go, what is that? What does it mean that the earth, what is this earth that was formless and void, and the watery depths, what is that all about? Is it something chaotic and opposed to God? The words in the Hebrew, tohu vavohu, those are some words I remember in Hebrew because it sounds, you know, so, so funny and so easy to remember. The tohu vavohu is the formless void. Usually in the Hebrew scriptures, these words mean something ominous, something that works against the purposes of God. Is it something like that or is it just something unformed and unfilled that God forms and fills as we see that he does in the next six days of creation? It's also translated a barren wasteland. Now, however we understand this, we see in verse 3, God speaks into the darkness. He speaks into the void and light comes. And as he continues to speak in the rest of the chapter, life springs up just by the power of his word. And for the original readers of this story, this would have been revolutionary. So just picture with me back in time in the ancient Near East, how did people make sense of the world? What stories were going on at this time? There were a lot of versions of the story of where the world began. And all of them were very chaotic and very violent. The one that's talked about in all the commentaries that you'll, if you read a commentary on this, is the one that the Babylonians hold to, where there is one God of many gods who fought another god who was kind of the god of the sea. And what he did to her is he killed her and he cut her in half. He split her in half and he split her up and said, oh, good, now we have heaven and earth. And let's just, as an afterthought, put some human beings in there. You go, well, that's quite a story to live by. That has some implications of what it means to be a human being if we all come from chaos and violence and chance. And as I was reading some of these ancient Near Eastern uh, origin stories, I was reminded of the dominant story in the Western world, which is a materialist story, that we are all the product of chance. We are the product of the chaos of DNA bumping up against itself. And over time, the best DNA crushes the lesser DNA. And that is the story of our lives. Chaos and violence. And a never-ending cycle of struggle. One commentator said this about this story. Imagine this story in that worldview. And in our worldview, he says this. I think I have that quote. Yes. Those who submit themselves to the Creator's rule, Genesis 1.1, are assured that their history, their story, will not end in tragic darkness and chaos, but will continue on in triumphant light and order. Do so you know when you're watching a movie and you're getting to know all the characters and the story's going on and there's a, there's a character that is not quite developed, they're just kind of there, 
You know, I do this a lot when I'm watching a movie or a TV show, and I'm like, that guy's going to die. <laughs> right? You're just like, you can just feel it. And I'm like pretty good at calling that. You're like, that girl, yeah, yeah, she's, she's going to die. <laughs> I can already see it happening. But on the other hand, there's characters where you know, like this story, it has their name in the title. Like they're not going to die. Even if it looks like hopeless for them and chaotic and it looks like hope is lost, you're like, well, it's going to be okay because this movie is called Thor or whatever. Like Thor's not going to die because it's his movie. Can we know in our stories, no matter how bleak it looks or confusing or hard, that it will be okay? That we will make it on the other side is light and life. Any brokenness in creation... Anything out of order according to God's design and in us, any threat to God's design and rule, any rip or tear in the fabric of God's work, any sadness and grief and pain and darkness and evil and confusion. Genesis 1-1 says can only have a temporary role in the story of God. We can be assured of this. You can be assured of this in your story. How can we know? We can know because of Genesis 1-1. And we can know at an even deeper level with greater assurance because of what this creator God did later on in this story. John 1-1 says, in the beginning, the same words here, the word was with God and the word was God and this word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came into our creation in order to redeem this creation. Numerous times in the New Testament, Jesus is simply called the beginning. Here's a slide where there's one version of that in Colossians chapter one. Jesus is the head or the bo- of the body of the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so he might come to have first place in everything. He is the beginning, and as it says, he is the new beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That what happened to Jesus as he came and descended into the darkness and the chaos of death, he rose again triumphant. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the new beginning because nothing and no one will stop the story that he set in motion from reaching its end, and that is true for all who trust in him. Second Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, Genesis 1, 3, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When things are chaotic and difficult, when we don't know how the story is going to end, how can we trust God's authority? What can put us in the place of awe again, humble us and assure us that yes, light will win? How can we know when it seems like sin and evil and darkness sometimes have the upper hand in the world and in our stories? Second Corinthians says, look to the face of Jesus Christ. Because when you look to the face of Jesus Christ, you look to the face of the one who made you. He is your author. He has entered into the story of this world. He has entered into your stories. He knows the darkness. He knows how chaotic and confusing it can be. He has borne your guilt. He has borne your sin. And on the other side of the deepest darkness, he has rose again triumphant. 
And he says, look to my face. Trust me. No matter how dark it gets, you can have assurance that your story will not end here. If it's not okay, look into my face. And I will tell you it will be okay. Do you need help with something in your life right now? Do you need assurance? The psalmist says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Look to Jesus, and this help is yours. Let's pray. Our Father, creator and maker of everything, we know even when we speak those words, we should speak them from a place of great awe and humility. And I pray you would lead us, all of us, again there. Remembering that you made us, you designed us, you created us, you are the author of our stories. And we praise you that the story that you are writing, as you have made so clear through your son, Jesus Christ, is a story that ends in hope and reconciliation and restoration in all things made new. We give you thanks that we can trust. You have the power to do it and you have the love that has entered into our lives to bring us along with you to the recreation of all things. Fill us again with hope and joy in that we pray. In Christ's name, amen.